Hi, this is Elliot Fishman. Welcome to part three of our discussion on misdiagnosis in abdominal CT, strategies and pitfalls. And we left off last time suggesting that we were going to talk about renal imaging, which we will indeed talk about. If I look at some of the pitfalls, a lot of them relate to protocols. The importance of phase of data acquisition, the display format used, and the rendering technique. And all three of these can help increase or decrease the frequency of error. Now, protocol phases, if everything was equal, if there wasn't radiation issues, everybody might get four phases. But obviously, we need to minimize the phases, yet we need to have enough phases to make the right diagnosis. Therefore, you have to understand what each phase can provide and then base your protocols based on what you're looking for. Non-contrast scans are great if you're looking for renal calculi. No doubt they're good. They're also good if you have a renal lesion to determine what its pre-contrast value is. 25% of renal cancers resected or suspected renal cancers resected are benign. Many of these are high-density renal cysts, but there was only one phase or two phases available, and people assumed it was a solid hypovascular mass when it was simply a high-density renal cyst. So it's critical when you're looking at a renal lesion to have a non-contrast study unless you have a series of arterial and venous or arterial and delayed scans and the lesion was very vascular on one phase and washed out on the other. And so you know the lesion is definitely a tumor. But many times tumors are resected or suspected tumors and they're simply high density renal cysts. So that becomes very important. Here's a case in point. You look at the left renal mass, it's a solid mass. It looks like a papillary renal cell carcinoma incidentally detected. You also begin to think there's little dots here of maybe enhancement. And it looks like a solid mass on the excretory phase imaging as well. But if you think about it on the arterial and the excretory phase, if you would measure it, it did not change density. Now, some tumors change by 20 or 30 Hounsfield units, some change by 100, but things always change. If something is the same on two phases, you gotta be thinking it's not enhancing at all, and you better be suspicious you're dealing with a high-density renal cyst. And if you go back in this patient, what you simply did is bring the patient back for a non-contrast scan, and there's the lesion with those high-density zones as well, this was a high-density renal cyst, a leave-alone lesion. The patient did not get surgery. Now, I always make the point there's no one perfect phase for lesion detection or lesion definition. That's true both on the neoplastic side as well as on the benign side as well as on the inflammatory side. Now, again, I always make the point about non-contrast, and I met it a moment ago. What do non-contrast scans tell you? And I make that because I'm always concerned in the ER setting, patient gets a non-contrast scan with hematuria, we say the study's normal. No, no, there's no stones. It doesn't mean the study is normal, but that's how the ER doc interprets it. They may not have been the one ordering, it was ordered from a PA, and they just got the report it's negative and they discharged the patient. Well, the truth is non-contrast scans are gonna miss small tumors, particularly when there's no contour changes. They're gonna miss acute polynephritis, and they can miss vascular pathology. So in this case, with a right kidney looking perfectly normal and hematuria, the ER doc wanted to stop. But then you look more carefully, we held on and we gave contrast. There's a two centimeter, a two and a half centimeter enhancing lesion that's an obviously a carcinoma. You can see it here and on delayed phase imaging as well. But you recognize 
one phase, that non-contrast was not ideal. Arterial and delayed in this case were able to show you the lesion. What about this case? There's a lesion in the left kidney, but when you look really hard, at first glance you say there's a cystic component and the tumor is solid, but if you measure that cystic component or what you think is cystic, it's really fat and it's a negative minus 71 Hounsfield unit, units. This is a benign lesion. This is a fat, poor renal angiomyelipoma. One of the most common lesions resected under the guise of suspected malignancy is a fat, poor renal angiomyelipoma. You can see we gave contrast. The area of fat shows even better, but the lesion looks vascular. If you would have just based it on the vascularity, you would have taken it out suspicious for neoplasm. The angiomyelipomas have varying degrees of vascularity. They have varying degrees of fat. Sometimes it's all fat. They're easy to diagnose. The lipid-poor ones are harder to diagnose. They tend not to bleed, but they can simulate renal cell carcinoma. Here's the same case using cinematic rendering. Now, I talk about display format. You need to routinely look at the images in coronal and sagittal plane, especially coronal. Here's a good example. This was read as negative, and I can see why these, the enhancement is symmetric. This wasn't a case where um, they were suspicious for neoplasm, but if you look at the cortical medullary interface, you can see when you get to this point in the kidney, the cortical medullary interface is off. But when you look at the coronal view, look how obvious the tumor is. So one of the things is subtle tumors that change the cortical medullary interface are very easy to miss, but easy to recognize on the coronal views. Or this case, this was read as a normal study, and you look at the right kidney, this was felt to be the upper pole, and it kind of looks sort of like the upper pole till you look at the coronal view and you realize it's a solid tumor. It's a carcinoma off the upper pole. So again, routinely looking at the coronal views will make your life easier. It will avoid errors and increase your accuracy. Again, sometimes things on axial views are really understated. Now, I do give specific talks on hematuria, on CTSS, and in renal tumors, but let me show you a few other potential points that at least I'll cover here. One is the ureter. Whenever we think about tumors of the ureter, particularly in transitional cell, we think about multiple lesions, we always think of hydronephrosis and obstruction. But in this case, with a patient with hematuria, this was read as negative. I was removing the bone to do a 3D, and then I widened the window. So one thing is when you look at the calyces or the ureter, widen the window. And if I stop just perfectly, you can see it looks like a donut. Okay, and then if you take that donut and reconstruct along its axis, there's a one centimeter, a little bit over one centimeter lesion in the left ureter. This was a transitional cell carcinoma. It did not cause hydronephrosis. At this point, it's easily resectable. If you miss it, the patient presents with multifocal disease and spread of disease. But look how easy it is to see, but also how easy it is to miss if you're not careful. Same patient, or another patient rather, look at the lesion right here in the ureter. One thing that may be helpful for you is to do MIP imaging. If you do MIP of the ureters, it really makes things stand out. You can see that lesion in the left ureter, very obvious there, okay? And we looked at this, uh, Shiva Raman wrote an article talking about the importance of CT technique in looking at the ureters, how easily things are missed. 
Um, the majority of ureteral TCCs are found in the distal third of the ureter, a segment that is particularly difficult to completely distend. Moreover, even well, well distended tumors can be subtle, particularly when looking at source images only. So we go on to make the point that you need to look at multiplanar and 3D. One thing that I mentioned that may be of value is to routinely look at MIP imaging. MIP can show you transitions, can show you filling defects, can show you tumors. So again, can be very, very valuable in this scenario. The idea about 3D of the ureter, we've published articles about that, but it really can be helpful, accentuating subtle strictures and sites of narrowing, accentuating subtle abnormal urothelial enhancement and thickening, better visualization of the distal ureter, and better visualization of flat polypoid lesions. So some examples. Here, something is definitely wrong in the non-contrast with the left kidney. There's some scarring, a loss of cortex. There's fullness by the pelvis. And when you give IV contrast, the enhancement of the left kidney is less than the right kidney, and also its borders are irregular. So you're suspicious something is going on. When you look at the recons, at first glance, it looks like a left UPJ, maybe even a right UPJ. The right proximal ureter is not filled for a short segment. When you look a bit more carefully on the axials, you see that there's thickening around the proximal uh, ureter. And again, when you do the 3Ds, what's going on here? This looks like a dilated pelvis and calyces. Is there a mass here? Is this a UPJ? Is this a stricture? What's going on here? Here the calyces look normal. Here they look abnormal. Well, if you look more carefully, you can see along the course of the ureter, there's actually infiltration. As we draw a center line through the ureter, there's the infiltration. It was an infiltrating transitional cell carcinoma, which was causing the calyectasis and the unusual appearance of the renal pelvis. Another example. Here we have hematuria. The kidneys look like they function symmetrically. Excretory phrase imaging looks pretty good. But when you look at the MIP imaging, it's subtle. The ureters aren't dilated. But look at the left ureter. You see the right is so smooth. But look at the left, it's irregular. Yes, you could think about inflammation, TB perhaps, but there was no history of that. There's something wrong with that patient's ureter, and that was a transitional cell carcinoma. So you can see when you do the reconstructions on the MIP, it becomes very obvious to show you the subtle irregularities. There's no hydronephrosis here. It's the irregularity that's critical in making the correct diagnosis. Another example, left ureter. You can see that as you track it downward, there's a donut sign. And when you look more carefully, when I stop just perfectly, there's a crescent. There's something going on with that ureter. It's a donut sign again, nicely shown right there. We do the coronals. There's an obvious mass. It's one centimeter in size. That was a transitional cell carcinoma. So I've now shown you several examples of how you can miss subtle transitional cell carcinomas of the ureter. You're not going to see hydronephrosis typically. They can be very subtle, they can be small, but you can pick them up if you're very careful. And again, here's another example where the MIP imaging works very nicely, showing you the filling defect, but showing you the ureters look okay otherwise. And again, uh, that becomes very important. Now, another area where post-processing and what you look at routinely becomes critical is anything that relates to the mesenteric vessels. And I typically talk about the SMA and celiac. If you look only at the axial view, it's easy to miss things. Looking at the sagittal is critical. And I don't mean only in patients with pancreatic cancer. I mean all of the time. 
We published this article a number of years ago that showed that in about 15% of cases, unless you looked at the sagittal view, you missed findings. We looked back at people's reports and they missed things, cold turkey, because they were looking at the axial images, not the sagittal images. And we said in this era of post-processing, you need to look at all of the images. And we know the sagittal views are very valuable, as I mentioned, in pancreatic cancer for vessel encasement. But we're looking at the vessels for stenosis, for occlusion, for patency, for thrombus, all become critical. So for example, with arterial occlusion, we look at, at many patients for ischemic bowel. You want to look carefully at the vessels routinely with abdominal pain. You can have arterial embolism. It can be small. It can be thrombosis. Arterial embolism is usually in the mid-vessel or proximal, but it can be distal. So in this case, you look at the vessels and you say, gee, the aorta looks good, the celiac, the SMA, and IMA all look good. But then when you track further down, there's a filling defect. There's a thrombus right there on the sagittal and on the 3D MIP. And there you see it again as I rotate the vessel around. There's a thrombus in the vessel that had to be removed. This patient would have infarcted their bowel. Look how obvious it is on the 3D, but you also get fooled in this case because it's very distal. You typically look at the vessels proximally when you look at axial, and you don't follow the vessel in its entirety. Also, it makes the point that seeing thrombus in vessel with normal appearing vessels in the sense there's no plaque is not going to be uncommon. So we make the point and a pitfall in suspected cases of ischemia, you have to evaluate the entire vessel, not just the proximal portion. If you can't define the distal aspect of the vessel, you can't call it normal. That midline sagittal view is critical, be it SMA syndrome, be it vascular stenosis, be it mean and awkward ligament syndrome, be it staging tumors like pancreatic cancer, looking for mesenteric aneurysms, or looking at collateral flow. Now that same concept of looking at the sagittal view comes up again when looking at bones or soft tissue. Pathology may be overlooked as it is often at the edge of the film diagnosis, but also particularly spinal pathology doesn't show well on the axial views. It's important, we're not talking about trauma cases or primary bone cases, it's important to look at the bones in every case. You can see unsuspected metastasis, you can see compression fractures, you can see osteopenia. You need to routinely look at the sagittal views. In this patient with back pain where the concern was aortic aneurysm, it looks like DGD in the patient's lumbar spine, but when you look at the coronal and sagittal view, there's a compression fracture in an osteopenic patient at L1, and that was the reason the patient had symptoms. But from the axials alone, it just looked like osteoporosis and some degenerative change. Good article. Most clinically important vertebral body compression fractures in non-trauma patients at risk for low bone mineral density may go unreported on abdominal multi-detector CT if sagittal reconstructions are not routinely evaluated. There's a new AI program from one of the companies, it's either Zebra or AI Doc, which just looks at the sagittal lumbar spine to tell you this osteoporosis because people are missing it. In this article, 84% of cases were missed because people were not looking at the sagittal views. This idea about looking at everything, pathology often is at the edge of the films and the skin and subcutaneous tissues are often what you would call the edge of the film diagnosis. So that indeed becomes very, very important to look at. Now, another source of error is pancreatic cancer. 
and pancreatic masses in general. So let's do this. Let's take a break right now, finish part three, come back with part four, and part four will be four of four, and we'll finish with this talk. See you in a couple moments. If you liked what you heard here today, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit our website, ctss.com, for lectures, quizzes, pearls, and more. Also, be sure to check out our apps that are available for free on the Apple Store. All links are in the description box below.